Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of four, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. This is episode 72. Today, we're going to be talking about our money stories, um, always something that people are thinking about around the holiday finances and end of year uh, sort of reckoning of, of how the year has gone, um, thinking about the next year as well. So this is, you know, post Hanukkah, right before Christmas, right, Sarah? What, what are the dates this year? Hanukkah begins on December 2nd. Yes. Okay. Or began, I guess, as we're talking oh, in the, the, yes. the past tense here. But uh, we're, we're still. Hanukkah's actually over by the time this airs. So I hope it went well. We were, as we're recording this, we're both in, in shopping mode, which may be one reason we're, we're thinking about money. <laughs> but uh, um, so, so what did you guys decide to do? What's, what's on the. Uh, we, we honestly, I didn't have a lot of, I keep using the word bandwidth with Josh. I'm like, I still have the bandwidth for that. I, I didn't have a lot of bandwidth for, for Hanukkah this year. And I kind of put him in charge to some extent. We did a very minimal gift summit last night where we just sort of decided which big things we want to order. And uh, he had actually already purchased bikes for Annabelle and Cameron, which is definitely the, the, you know, the big ticket item of the year. Annabelle had asked for roller skates. So we just got that for both kids as well. Now, I know it seems a little crazy in most parts of the country. It's like, why are you buying this stuff now? But actually for us, this is our outdoor time. Outdoor season is like the best from now until May or so. So it actually makes sense to buy those kinds of things. And then I think we're going to do winter coats one day because we're going up north and we had to buy them anyway. And if we get ones that they'll like, that counts. And then we're going to fill in a lot of family gifts and friend gifts. And yeah, so I'd say we're keeping it fairly minimal in part out of laziness, in part because we don't have a lot of space. Uh, and in part because we, as we're moving, we realize our kids have so much stuff and they're just always getting more. And birthday seasons come quickly after Hanukkah for us in uh, February and then April. So just not trying to go too crazy. What about you guys? Well, I say Genevieve like overlaps with, with Hanukkah. Oh right? yeah. Well, and this year, Genevieve, right in the middle of it. I, how are you? Genevieve is not getting like dedicated Hanukkah gifts because 
she doesn't know. <laughs> well, that is true. She does not know. Uh, and do you get the big, what day do you get the big gift on? Is that the last night? Uh, uh... No, I, sometimes the first night. I think we'll probably, it, I may use, is this bad if I'm like, I'll tell the kids, like, if you're really good, you know, this <laughs> I may use it as a bribery tactic to um, for them to get their biggest gift, which I think they suspect what it is. Or I may try to time it with a weekend because that will give them the most time to use it. Since yeah, they're that's true. No, I think the bike is the kind of thing you want to open like on the Friday night, right? And then you Yes. Can yeah, that would make sense. sense. They can play it all weekend. Yeah, that makes sense. So did you like take advantage of Black Friday sales? How did you or did you No, you plan farther ahead than that, don't you? Not really. Um, I, I have gotten uh, I did get a fair number of things relatively early just you know, sitting there over Thanksgiving weekend and making a list in my planner, which is just the notebook from Target, because that's how I am. Um, but I have everyone's uh, names on it and and then try to figure out, well, what what am I getting? What have I already gotten? Just try to keep it relatively similar in terms of people's happiness levels with what they're getting, you know, sort of size under the tree for, for the children who are um, into physical size of gifts, you know, the, the older two definitely understand more that certain things are expensive versus other things. Uh, and, and so they're okay with smaller gifts, not being quite as big under, under the tree or, or from Santa, but yeah, it's, it's a kind of a, all this triaging of, of stuff. I, I would prefer not to be at the end, like buying stuff randomly, um, to, to make it, I like, I want to get the stuff that they like and not get a whole lot of stuff that they don't care as much about. I would like to have it be a more mindful, thoughtful experience this year than it has been for, for some years in, in the past, but uh, we shall see. I mean, it was, it's already tough. Like the, I took Alex uh, shopping with me at, at Barnes and Noble and he wanted everything and he was pulling everything out. And I wound up having to get him something small because I was shopping for his siblings that he, you know, opened anyway. And then he's trying to find where their presents are because he wants to know where they are hidden in the house. Oh, it's just going to be hard. We can't put anything under the tree. We won't be able to put anything under the tree until Christmas. Oh, because it would be it would be yeah. ripped open. Yeah. I, he doesn't he lacks he totally lacks all self-control and not that, I mean, he's three, like, why would he? That's normal. I think that's normal. Um, so yeah, nothing can go out until, until Christmas anyway. So it all has to be concealed around the house and yeah, but we're going to get, um, there's a lot of cool stuff. We're, we're getting some blocks. Uh, we're, I always like Playmobil stuff. Um, you know, there's some Lego Harry Potter. That's really, really cool. Like the Hogwarts express is, is pretty fun. You know, we're just, uh, um, the the eleven year old asked Jasper asked for a trip again this year, which is um, oh that's so cool. Yeah, he I likes to experience that. stuff. I mean, he sort of realized there's nothing big he wants. He's not into video games, so uh, you know Sam wants stuff like the Xbox or whatever. But uh, Jasper wants experience. The issue he wants to go to California, which is gonna be hard to pull off. I mean. It's a weekend. Like, well, that, a weekend. A three-day weekend. A three-day weekend? I don't know. So we got to find a day that is off for school. Day weekend. Or a four-day weekend. I don't even know if we have any of those. So, um, oh, man. You know, even if we, we just use miles and stuff. So it's not really the expense. It's more the parental time. No, it's the time. It's the yeah. time. Well, maybe the tail end of spring break or something. Maybe, yeah. We'll see. So that's true. That then you want that time with the other kids. With the other kids. So, yeah. It, We'll see how that one pulls up <laughs> because last, last year he went to um, the Georgia Aquarium is what he requested, but that was pretty easy in and out because you just fly, you know, two hours down Saturday morning, came back. He and my husband went two hours, you know, fly down Saturday morning, come back Sunday evening. They used miles, stayed in like a you know place where it's Starwood points. So, so it's it, like the trip itself was practically free. Um, and then it was over the weekend. So it was just me, you know, covering for the weekend. but. Four days is going to be a bit more intense for. I think next year he's going to ask for like Italy. I know. I'll be like, wait. I mean, I'm not sure if. Uh, yes, maybe these are things I need to start asking for for Christmas or something. But uh, yeah, I, we'll see. We'll see. Well, that's a good. That's a good uh, segue into our topic of the day, which um, is money. Which is money. And and we wanted to talk about why we wanted to do this episode, because I know we are going to get certain amounts of feedback about well, this. Well, Laura episode. wanted to do this episode, and I begrudgingly agree. <laughs> so you know you're going to disown this whole thing. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. You hang welcome. me out on the line to dry here. No, what it was is so when in our 
a previous episode where we were talking about, you know, career setbacks and things like that. And I had mentioned that very few people had bought my money book, All the Money in the World. And I swear over the next few weeks, I must have heard from everybody who purchased a copy of All the Money in the World. It was just like, well, I liked it. I wanted to, I'd love to hear you talk more about that. I liked it too, by yeah, the way. Well, okay, there we and go. That was before I knew you. It was before you knew it. So, but more the approach of, of thinking about, you know, our money stories and what we are telling ourselves about money and where these stories come from and how they shape our lives and how we can use money as a tool to build the lives we want. And I, of course, understand that the sheer idea of using money as a tool implies that there's, you know, some of it sitting around, right? That you're in a space where you have um, some disposable income. And that, you know, doesn't apply to everyone. And and we know we have listeners who are in all sorts of situations. But I think we all have stories we have grown up with that we have developed over the years, things we tell ourselves, things we believe about money. And it's interesting to sort of explore those uh, and see how they affect our lives and, and our happiness and all that. So we wanted to do that. We, we thought we could have a good discussion um, of, of talking about, uh, you know, our, our money stories and, and how we grew up thinking about it and, and how we've sort of trained ourselves to think about it over time. No, I agree. And in Laura's defense, I do think it is, it is an interesting topic to explore, one that I'd like to listen to different perspectives about. And I, I mean, just in the way that this episode isn't going to apply to everyone, um, when I listen to you know, a podcast that is aimed at someone who stays home or has a flexible schedule that doesn't necessarily apply to me. Sometimes it means I turn it off. Sometimes it means that I sort of listen and, and glean what I can. Um, but but I guess our, my disclaimer is, is like we can we may have a personal finance expert on the blog someday. That would be actually really fun. And if you have a specific person um, to suggest, we have a few uh, from the survey, but if you have another one, that's great. But I, we also know that you like it when we share our stories. And the only stories we have are our own experiences. So as much as that, we know we're going to get some people who who feel that this is not applicable to all. I totally agree. It's not. But it probably is to some. And we do have a good number of families with with two fairly high earners that we'll get to. And there are things there's that there are stories we tell ourselves about money that I think uh, deserve a little bit more delving into. So I actually think it is a good idea, despite the fact that I fought it <laughs> at first. Like, why are we even going here? Although there's various other angles of money beyond sort of like this, the budgeting, you know, frugal, like personal finance stuff. Like I think would be great to talk about negotiating salaries and, you know, pushing for raises and, and things like that, which I, I know that a lot of our listeners are women and, and maybe less likely to do. There's some interesting research about that and why that is that women are, you know, less aggressive about going for raises, for instance, um, when, you know, taking on new jobs and things like that. Um, but so Sarah, let's let's talk about what we learned about money growing up. We found out that both of us are from pretty frugal homes, right? Yes. Here, why don't you go first? I will go first. That order we wrote it in. <laughs> well, there's a you know, we're sort of mentally that way. There's there's that you know, people have heard the phrase Dutch treat, which means that you both pay your own way, right? Uh, there's sort of a, a joke there, and then people know my last name Vanderkam is is like that. You know, you kind of grow up with this sort of stuff. And and my parents didn't have a whole lot of money when we were growing up. Um, certainly, you know, none when my my brother was born and my father was still in graduate school. I mean, there was uh, you know WIC coupons involved in in that time period of their lives. By the time I came around, uh, he was gainfully employed. So that was uh, slightly better. But, you know, we, we certainly never had a whole lot of, of money growing up. And I have all sorts of memories of my going to the grocery store with my mother and she had her envelope for the coupons, uh, you know, which is like a recycled envelope that you stick. I, I later learned that not everybody writes their grocery list on an envelope and sticks the coupons in there. That's a, our unique way of going to the grocery store in, in this family. The upside of, of that sort of frugal background is that I have always, always lived within my means. Uh, you know, there was my first year out of college. I was working a year long internship that I lived on my own, you know, earnings like the nobody was supporting me um so and i earned about like my salary was something like eighteen thousand dollars a year which i lived on and i it was fine like it wasn't actually that bad i i you know carefully grocery shopped i took public transportation all that so and you know being able to do that which i know is a skill that a lot of my college classmates would never have had 
made it easy to then you know actually build up savings when I was freelancing on the side during the internship, and then I could you know finance pretty much my my move to New York and and have a couple months where I didn't know if I would be earning anything before I realized that I, I could actually earn serious money writing. So, you know, there's there's upsides of that. Of course, the, the downsides, I find I'm still, you know, cheap for, for unknown reasons at times. How about you? Well, you see, it's so interesting because I feel like I maybe had a, some parallels and then like, but had none of the same results. So, <laughs> I mean, I, my, I, my parents listen to this podcast and they're wonderful people. So obviously, I'm not going to be throwing them under the bus, but they are very frugal. In my opinion, sometimes more frugal than is necessary. Like there were no WIC coupons, but there was never a purchase made that wasn't like hemmed and hawed about, you know, how can we do this cheaper? All of our family trips, most of them, parents will probably correct me and point out like one that wasn't, were like my dad's work trips that we would tag along so we could stay free in the hotel, um, which meant I got a taste for really nice hotels, but we didn't pay for any of them. And then my dad would have to work. So that was a, not really a great you know, family togetherness experience. So I don't know, like I probably, if anything, rebelled against this upbringing. I don't know if I would say that I was resentful, but was not the most responsible with money. As soon as I had any, and that includes like credit cards, um, I sort of, I mean, I never got into too much trouble, thankfully. It was more like, you know, I would just empty my bank account while I was at college. And my parents were generous enough to be completely paying for my college experience. And so, you know, their savings did pay off. They did that. And they also, you know, bought me a car with cash at the end of college. So I sound horribly ungrateful. And I'm not. I'm, I, they're great parents. They gave me a lot. But their philosophy always graded on me a little bit. And maybe still does. They know we get in, you know, little tiffs about it. And so I, I don't feel that way. I'm probably, you know, there are people who are underbuyers and Laura, I know you count yourself as one of them. And then there are people who are, if anything, overbuyers. I don't think I'm an overbuyer either. I think I really tend to be very intentional with money at this point. But when I was younger, I was pretty dumb, including I took a trip to Europe right after graduating from college. And I'm not sure how I thought I was paying for it. Like I didn't have any real jobs or any real savings. And then I got home and was like, well, I've got a few thousands of credit card debt. And my parents were like, we're bailing you out for one last time in your entire life and we will never do it again. And I remember how bad it felt to think that I would actually like, like I had no way of paying the debt. Like I was about to, you know, start medical school. I was MD, PhD, which came with like a small stipend, but it was not going to be enough to, you know, pay any extra bills. And that was it. I was never in debt again. So that that is good. <laughs> that is good. Um, yeah, but I have a, I have a different philosophy, and my husband is also certainly not an underbuyer either. So as we'll talk about, we have other strategies to keep ourselves in check because we're not naturally we don't naturally lean to frugal. I don't think. Yeah, I think my husband and I both do. Like we're both uh, very very uh, temperamentally oriented that way, which has then you know led to certain things. So we don't really budget because we both earn good amounts of money. And then our set expenses are a low enough percentage of that uh, by design that then little things sort of daily spending or whatever just doesn't matter as much, you know, because it's, it's such a, and that's one of the things I actually talk about in all the money in the world that, you know, if you set your, I mean, sometimes you can't obviously that you need to live in a safe place with good schools and, and that's going to require a certain amount, and, you know, if, but if, if you have a choice, you know, what you choose to spend, what proportion of your income on things like housing and cars, for instance, if you choose to spend less then that's money that's there all the time, every month that you can, you know, spend and yet still have savings as well. And, and so, you know, that's kind of been our philosophy is that if you set, you know, you have your means and if you set your expenses at a low enough percentage of it, then you don't have to worry as much of that, but you guys budget. You're you, you're like my time tracker. Only with your with your you need a budget, right? It's true. I I mean I could like tell you like what we spent for parking on you know February third two thousand fifteen or something. which I could tell you how I spent every half hour. <laughs> and you could tell me what you were doing. <laughs> yeah. So it's crazy and it's funny because like while your time tracking you know is a I don't is a big well maybe it doesn't maybe it's such a because ha- to me it's such a habit that it doesn't feel like a big thing. Um, but 
for us, I think part of it is, you know, we went from resident salaries abruptly to attending salaries, which was like, you know, a really, really big and sudden increase. And it was kind of like, okay, initially that, that seemed great, but then all of a sudden it felt like, oh my God, it was like flowing out as fast as it was coming in. And we've read so much about actually doctors being notoriously poor managers of money and like, you know, assuming that they're going to work forever and have a high earning potential forever. And we didn't want to be like that. So we started tracking on YNAB just so we could see exactly what was coming in, exactly what was coming out to give us the freedom to enjoy spending on certain things without stressing about it. So I guess to some extent, even though I'm not an underbuyer, I might, I'm going to like not have joy about a purchase unless I know that I can afford it in a kind of planned manner. So by tracking and having sort of amounts that we're allowed to spend on travel or ourselves or our kids or whatever, I think it helps us got to you know use our money smarter and more intentionally and also enjoy spending it more because when i spend my allowance i don't feel guilty i don't feel like questioning whether i should really be doing it because i've already earmarked that money um and i think that unlike you if we were to just naturally do whatever well number 1 i think Josh and i might fight with each other like if he buys another guitar i might be like hey you know you just bought two guitars but instead it's like oh it's his allowance like that's okay he's only allowed to spend what's in there and I'm allowed to spend what's in mine. So I think it helps us not fight about it. But I also think it helps us keep things just more reasonable. Yeah. I guess we just don't buy stuff. So we're like, <laughs> I don't know what this. we buy. Yeah. I don't know what we buy, to be honest. Like, I, that's the funny thing is like, I don't think of us as material. I mean, you heard our Hanukkah list. Like, we're not super materialistic, but I think, I guess it's just more like the vacations and the experiences and the childcare. It just, it just all adds up. And cost of living is fairly expensive down here, although it's about to become a little cheaper for us. Yeah, um, that's true. Out of Miami Beach. So, yeah, well, that could yeah. be an interesting thing as you that ponder. may change our margins a little well, bit. Yeah, we'll you see. may ponder like what your, you know, what kind of house and what you're looking for. And especially as you're looking in a different neighborhood, which isn't quite as, as pricey as Miami Beach, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how you wind up optimizing the different angles of, of that purchase. Well, I can say right now that like the homes we're looking at are. Many of them are like one and a half times the size for half the price. So it's it is, it <laughs> well, is not a like a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's not a subtle. It's not a subtle gradation. No, um, no. Although well, that's assuming that our house sells. Well, I'm sure. Well, I mean, you're in a <laughs> you're in a place where it's it's tightly in. Like, I mean, you want to live in Miami Beach, you, you got to be there. Let's so, hope. Yeah. Let's hope. No, that's right. But I'll so why not? That's you need a budget, right? Is, yes, why did you yes, guys so choose that one? Is, um, well, at the time when we bought it, it was a one-time purchase rather than a subscription model. And we're still using that old one. So it was like a one-time investment of like 50 bucks or something like that. If I looked on YNAB, I could, I could, <laughs> I could find out exactly. Um, cause I'm sure I put that into YNAB, the purchase of YNAB, cause that's super meta. Anyway, um, I just liked the fact that it was easy to use, that it synced up with our phones. So it's easy to put on things on the run. If they've now moved to a subscription model that eventually we may have to switch to just because I, they don't have tech support on the old one. I imagine that at some point it's just going to not work anymore, but it's user-friendly. I, I don't know. It's just, it's a good program. And actually I like that it's not automatic. You have to manually tell it every dime you're spending. So it's not like it uploads a bunch and you have to like fix it or not. I think that's too tempting to kind of have it be very inaccurate, um, like programs like Mint. Mm. Um, although maybe they've gotten better since we've... So it doesn't just go straight from your credit card or debit card. Oh, no. Into the you have to actually okay. tell it. Every time I buy something on Amazon or every power bill that comes in, I just take two seconds and throw it into YNAB. So oh, it's all okay. manually entered. And then every month I, I do an audit. Interesting. And, and yeah. to see if you're over <laughs> or under on the different categories. No, well, it's, it serves two things. I go through and make sure I didn't like miss any purchases because it's certainly possible if we're out to eat, we just forget to put it in. So I like look at our, especially the big things on our credit card bills and make sure I put them into YNAB. And then I also create the next month's budget and sort of make sure that we're on track and not, you know, overspending what's in each bucket. So it kind of keeps us doing what we're doing. That's cool. No, that sounds a, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I actually, that was one of the things I like about my time tracking is that I'm manually entering how I spend my time. So people often ask me, well, why don't you just have an app that will then, you know, be automatic, if there, which there are some that are developing that technology that so you're, you have your phone with you all the time. It just like follows you around and it knows where you are, right? You're at your kid's school, like, so that it puts, you know, 245 to 315 at school. Um, would be automatically on the time log. And then you just go in afterwards and correct the record if it, you know, in fact, you were at like the library next to the school <laughs> for that time. Um, but, you know, it's, it, I, I actually like 
putting it in because of that mindfulness aspect of it, that it forces you to pay attention and to acknowledge that this is what you did with your time. So I can see that it would be the same thing with, with money, uh, that that would be one of the upsides of, of manually entering it. Um, so we have a question here about our, our proudest money moments. So I, I like yours. Yeah. I like both of them. <laughs> so my, you know, I'm a self-employed person. I've actually been working for myself since age 23, which is is kind of nutty to have gone that long without a regular paycheck. But, uh, you know, at the beginning, it was it was very much a, a hustle. And there have been plenty of times where it's it's a hustle. You try to make a certain amount and, you know, somebody offers you work. It's you always want to take it right. We, my husband, my husband's a consultant. So he sort of describes it the same way. Like you're you're a hunter. You see a mammoth. You want to get the mammoth. Like if it's an easy mammoth to get, you're like, I'm going to go after that mammoth. Right. Like you're it, the idea of not going after the mammoth is just like, why would I not do that? But my proudest many moments are every time I turn down work. And I have learned to do this over the years, that saying yes to something that you don't particularly enjoy doing or find like career advancing or doesn't pay enough to compensate for those two aspects. Uh, A, you're going to be like resentful doing it. Um, and, and But more importantly, it takes time and mental energy that you could spend going after something better. Um, so saying yes to too much little stuff means you don't have the capacity for the big stuff. You won't have the ability to go after a new opportunity or if somebody proposes something, you won't be able to take it on. I've seen this like, you know, very clearly with stuff that, you know, if I'm giving a speech and it's a date that somebody wants far in the future, but they don't want to pay sort of what I'd like to earn. If I say yes to a lower rate, it's highly likely that I'll get another option that would have paid more um, for that date that I will then have to turn down because I said yes to this other thing and committed to it. So I've learned the hard way on, on speaking, like don't get on a plane for something that's not paying what you want to earn, you know, for a date six months in the future, like say no, because something will come up. So, so every time I turn down work, I'm like, that was hard to do. Like, it's not my tendency to turn down work because I love to earn money. Like I, I'm amazed at how much I like to earn money um, and how much that is uh, kind of associated with my, my mental picture of myself. But, uh, you know, when I do it, it's, it's good. I guess my one other um, proud money moment was, was negotiating for my car. So I never had a car until I was 30 um, when we moved to the suburbs, I've always, I'd lived in Washington, DC, and then I lived in New York. Um, so we never had cars. I mean, you know, you don't need them. Um, public transportation is, is such that it's really not necessary. And so I bought my first car when we moved out to Pennsylvania and, uh, it was a negotiation. The, the dealer deemed the negotiation aggressive, <laughs> but I got my car, um, for, for a lot less than, a. You know, and it's a point of pride. It's a point that. of pride that that uh, I was I was aggressive about this car negotiation. We're like the worst negotiators. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think, and I think it partly has to. If you don't find spending money all that painful, then you like, you're like, oh, is that really worth? I don't know. It's it's we're not. It's a different philosophy. And in fact, we actually hired a car broker to buy our last car. So you like pay somebody. A chunk of money and then they know all the dealers. So theoretically they can get a good enough price and they do the negotiating for you, but mostly just takes the work out and you probably aren't going to get a terrible deal. You probably aren't going to get an aggressive deal either. <laughs> well, do you think they earned you enough back versus what know. you would have tried to negotiate on your own? We'll never know. Although we did do something, okay, frugal car tip. We wanted leather seats and we did get the cloth seats and put the leather in, like did an aftermarket and it looks just as good and it costs like $2,000 less. So there you go. It wasn't a negotiating, but it was another strategy. Yeah, that's true. A lot of the sort of packages on on the cars, uh, you know, it's it's non-transparent pricing then on on stuff that, you know, if you actually put it out and like, what would it cost a guy to put leather on this seat? Um, the answer is probably a lot less than it would cost yeah. for the end of that the, the dealer is going to try and charge you for yeah oh interesting okay um and i think it was our car broker that gave us that idea okay but so, that is not your proudest money moment i mean i'm sure it's great no. that you hired a <laughs> somebody no. to negotiate for it. but what is what is your proudest money moment every time i like have a big bill due like you know giant property tax bill or school tuition and i look in ynm and i have it like all added up like in that little budget pocket like it's got you know whatever fifteen thousand or twenty thousand dollars in there and i can just go click I love that. That's a great feeling. Because, you know, until we had real jobs, we could never do that. And a lot of times when you do that, you sometimes get a discount. Like our property tax, for every month you pay early, you get 1% off. And that's 
that's like a few hundred bucks. Like that's a lot of money. Yeah. So yeah, that's my proud money moment. Yeah. We have that too. If you pay your, your real estate tax bills, uh, immediately and in full, like you get 2% off or something like that. So we've, we've always, and certainly more, you know, that's off the number. And then if you pay it over time, you pay even more. Right. So it's, it's yeah. uh, definitely the way to go. I mean, cause it's not like you aren't going to not pay it <laughs> eventually. So yes, if you, if you have the, the, the cash on hand, it's, it's definitely worth taking advantage of, of something like that. So what do you like least? Like what money story do you tell yourself that you'd like to change? Do yours. Do mine. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, as we've been telling you, I find spending money incredibly painful and it's, it's not a great, uh, there are upsides to that, right? You know, the fact that you're living within your means and stuff like that. But uh, I won't replace stuff. I won't get stuff fixed. I mean, it's just, partly it's just my physical environment doesn't bother as me as much. So I, you know, was going around for several months with the clock in my car being an hour and 37 minutes off, which apparently <laughs> I just found it easier to add an hour and 37 minutes to whatever it said versus <laughs> actually change it. Uh, but, but it's the same thing. I'm walking around with my handbag is literally held together with dental floss. Um, that this was a way I, I could fix the, the hand, the handle to it, right. The straps, um, the strap came off. Um, so I got this, it's, it's coach, which is a nice, you know, brand leather handbag, but I got it at the outlet store and then got it at sale. So I got it <laughs> Um, for about 25% of what you would normally pay. And maybe that's why it fell apart. I don't know. Maybe it's not, maybe it's fake. Who knows? Um, but anyway, it's, uh, it, it, you know, lasted for about a, a year of heavy daily use. And, and then one of the straps came off. So I, I have MacGyvered it with, um, duck, with dental floss because it came apart at a time that I think I this might be it. the picture for our Instagram post. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> of, of why I'm carrying. So, you know, why haven't I gone and bought a new handbag. I don't know. Can I buy you a handbag? <laughs> so you could, like, why don't you tell me what I should buy? Maybe it's, maybe it's just the mental energy. I told energy you already. Okay, you should buy a low tough bag. Low tough. They're beautiful. Okay. And it's a small company. You're supporting an American small company. And their stuff is holding up really well for me. Definitely more than a year. So Okay. Well, I will yeah. I will look into that. <laughs> I, I probably do need a new bag. <laughs> <laughs> but but I wrote in my text, I was like, OMG, Laura, buy a bag already. <laughs> she needs to buy a bag. I need to buy a bag. That's just, you know, dental floss doesn't probably look the most professional. professional that's true. Time. Yes. Here I am, your speaker about how to have a more productive, effective life. <laughs> I'm walking around with my bag. Maybe up. it's part of your negotiation strategy. You're like, look, I need this. Yeah, You've got to pay me you more. Actually you actually don't, don't want to ever go into a negotiation being that you need it. Yeah, you're right. You know, you're it's, right. Uh, the best negotiation is that I do not I care. don't need I this. I don't need it. I yes. don't need it. I will walk away. Right. I will walk away. I do not need this. I do not need anything. Uh, and, and actually, when you when you have that, it's... I, uh, one of the negotiations I've learned this year, I've actually earned um, a reasonable chunk. I've, I've been keeping track of it from places that tell me they don't pay their speakers. And I said, well, then I won't do it. And then they find a budget that magically they do, in fact, pay some of their speakers, but apparently only the ones who think to ask. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, it, it just never hurts to be like, I'm not doing it, you know, and, or that I can't do it for X and sorry, we're not going to be able to make this work. And sometimes people come back and have more budget and sometimes they don't, but, uh, you know, and, and some of that I have my, I'm doing, I'm sending a lot of this over to the speakers bureau now anyway, cause they're, they're just more holding the line on that. But, uh, it, you know, negotiation, like I said, uh, that's all that. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so what, what uh, story would, do you like least? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, oh, I like least that I find investing like super intimidating and too complicated because that's a story. It's actually not that complicated. I actually really enjoy listening to Planet Money. Mm -hmm. So I can't be that bad, <laughs> but I feel like neither Josh nor I take uh, as active roles as we probably should in sort of managing the long-term savings yeah. side of things. You definitely can totally so, do that yourself. I mean, that's, that's, uh, you know, I know a lot of people like will, will pay other people to do it. And I just don't really see why. I mean, it's very easy to like set up an account and then buy mostly 
uh, you know, index, index funds. funds. Not that we're giving any. No, you know. this is not investment <laughs> advice, but like you don't need somebody else to buy index funds for you. And no, that's and what you should be in anyway, because nobody, to nobody's going to beat like, the market long term. Yes, so that's what you that should be in anyway. That is what I have learned from uh, Planet Money and Freakonomics more than anything else. So it's like you should, it is something you should DIY. And we're not necessarily doing that at this point, but at some point we'll take the reins. We'll see what happens. Yeah. So what, what are you teaching your kids about money? Yeah. So we, we do do the allowance thing. Um, we certainly buy them stuff other times as well. It's not like Cameron, you need new clothes, use your allowance. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think his $3 a week would get him. Very also, he might just never buy clothes. He'd be like, oh, I don't want to. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good point. Good point. Uh, I want full control over the clothing buying actually, because yeah. Um, but, uh, we do, we do give them a $3 a week. I think it's $3. I'm actually not in charge of it. Josh is in charge of it. He puts it into YNAB, which actually is a great system because otherwise it's very easy to forget to pay your kids. And then you're like, Oh, I don't know how many weeks it's been, but we can actually look back and be like, Oh no, we put it in YNAB. You've been paid up to, you know, October 13th. And sometimes we'll pay them a few weeks at a time. Um, and for example, if we're at a museum and we weren't planning on getting something, we can say to them, if you really want something, use your money. And I think it's, it helps because they do kind of start to understand, oh, I can't get this because I don't have enough money for this. And so they're understanding the value of different things. And I think they're also getting starting to understand, hey, if I use my allowance, I won't have it to spend later. So I think it's been good. And we don't tie it to anything. Um, thus far, we haven't done any like behavior or like jobs for them to... Well, well no, I, I take it back. I've like paid Annabelle a dollar to watch Genevieve before <laughs> for like 10 minutes. Um, but generally, we're not we're not paying them for things. We just, that's like their unconditional thing that they get each week. Okay. And, and did you have a debate about this or was that how you guys grew up and that was sort of the way it was like, you know, the whole tying it to chores versus not tying to this, I, as I learned writing all the money in My the parents world. were quite this inconsistent. Is a, this is I don't really remember. Uh, I feel like sometimes thing. they would just like offer it. And then other times it was like, they would offer it, but then if you don't do this, you don't get it. So it was like sort of like a negative reinforcement mm. kind of a situation. I don't, I don't really remember. Um, and I don't know on my husband's side, but that's just kind of what we decided together. We may have read something about it. Yeah. I'm not sure. And, and you, read, you, guys, you, you, read one side, of- you read one side of the literature and not the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly possible. Yeah. Uh, but you, cause you guys had like a, a you oh, God. we had a, we had a, one of our biggest fights ever about this. I sort of assumed we'd give our kids allowance. So my parents gave us a, a, a small allowance growing up uh, every week. Um, and yeah, I paid for various things out of that and babysitting money and, and so forth. You know, I, I remember like being the, the person who had to have, you know, I wouldn't go to a sleepaway camp in the summer that was at a college campus. And I was always responsible for my own spending money for that, which would have come out of saved allowance and babysitting money and things like that. I, so I sort of assume that's what we do. And I kind of mentioned that to Jasper at one point, like, oh yeah, you know, we could give you a couple dollars a week. And then my, my husband, you know, I was talking about it with him and he just like, blew up like in a way that I have not seen in any other way shape or form in my life (laughs) he's a pretty calm guy is this because of his childhood experiences I don't know well I assume it was touching on something like because you don't you know that's not a normal reaction to like I'm gonna give my kid three (laughs) dollars so um I think you know they didn't do allowances growing up and I'm not sure that produced one way or the other because he and his siblings have very different approaches to money and um, money stories they are telling themselves. So it's not that one way of being with your children then produces a certain outcome at all. So I'm not quite sure what his argument was in in that way. But anyway, um, he was adamantly opposed to giving the children an allowance. He thinks that we can pay for things for them if they ask and have a good reason, um, but that they should come to us because he like, I think he doesn't like the idea of them having income that they can then use. Got without, it. He wants to keep yes, maintain the control maintain over the control, like, like approving or disapproving. So, purchases. you know, just stuff Which, like if we, you know, if we go to, uh, you know, we went to Dutch Wonderland recently, uh, the amusement park has a, a holiday thing um, where you can go and, and, you know, if the kids, thought that they could use their own money to like play those stupid games, for instance, like he likes to be able to stop them. <laughs> I think. Was, oh, yeah, no, we would totally let them. We'd be like, them fine, well, spend all your gone. money and then it's gone. Lesson. That's a lesson. Um, and we yeah. do we, on trips, we give them like a special, I forgot. So like we'll give them 
$40 or something if we go on a week-long trip and then they can like buy a big thing or a couple small things. So that's almost like another, an extension. So I guess we're kind of like super into the allowance thing. Well, we'll do something like, like that. Occasionally. Like if we've gone on a trip, we'll say, well, everyone can get, you know, one souvenir from this trip up to $20. Um, and then they sort of look around the gift store and and figure out how, you know, to add. Yeah, the money that's kind of like allowance. Like. Okay. So, but somehow that doesn't seem to cause a problem. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> we, we have not. Yeah. So at this point, we just, you know, if they ask us for money, the thing is they honestly, they don't ask us for a whole lot of stuff. So we'll see how this evolves over time because this can't last. I mean, you know, at some point, they're going to be doing stuff with their friends on their own. I mean, am I going to give them money every time they go out? I think there needs to be some sort of personal kind of control over it. But I also don't think that, you know, I particularly think it would be a great idea for them to be trying to like do lots of jobs right during, you know, high school, for instance, which is something that you might do if you were. I think we both did. Yeah. Well, I did. I mean, I, I, I did. worked plenty yeah. of jobs. And I babysat. I like worked at the video store. I did like all kinds of dumb, <laughs> <laughs> not dumb. I don't know. I guess I learned things. I, I loved being a camp counselor, actually. Yeah. It's like really Well, I think they stuff like camp counselor would be fine. I just, I, I don't know. I, I think probably that time might be better spent on like studying and all that, like during the school year. And so who knows? During the school year. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I, yeah, I, we have got to sort this out at some point. Um, so far, it's been okay to just kind of be the reins of it, that they haven't asked to spend their money on stuff much. But we'll see. We'll see how that, that develops. <laughs> we'll update this in a year. Yes, an update <laughs> in a year. All right. So, you know, the... Um, Let's let's just go over because we're we're this is gonna be a long one. We are, yeah. This is I let's, yeah. Let's this go, is gonna be a two part. Yeah. Let's go to <laughs> let's let's move to the earning question. Okay. Because I think that I mean you knew going into medicine that that it was a, a fairly high paying career. Although then you were choosing, were you yep. evaluating specialties at all based nope. on income at high school? What was was Josh? No, and I uh, no no definitely not. That's neither of our. I mean that's. I I felt in medicine, or at least maybe f- compared to my upbringing. I mean, even if I had been a f- family medic, you know, it it didn't matter what specialty. They're all like a decent wage. They're all, they're, it's pretty hard to actually not make six figures. I'm sure there are exceptions, like like an academic pediatrician. Uh, and some of my colleagues actually, and Peds Endo is one of the lowest paying of the pediatric subspecialties. So if you go to an academic center, you could possibly find a, a non-six-figure job, but that would be hard to do. So I knew that no matter what I picked, it was going to be decent. And I might as well pick something that I thought was really fun and rewarding. So I did not have um, finances to figure in. In fact, you know, in retrospect, sometimes I wonder if that was smart. I had... I'm going to brag. I had great test scores. Like I, I'm a good test taker. And like on my boards, you know, pediatrics doesn't usually have great board scores. Like you don't need high board scores. Like I had the kind of board scores. If I had been interested in something like dermatology, I could have done it where I probably could work like two days a week (laughs) and earn like a lot of money, six figures. You know, I didn't do that. I ended up instead doing something that's not as high paying, but it's still pretty well paying, especially the type of job that I took and in the market that I took. So no, it didn't go into it. Maybe it could have more, but I'm pretty happy how it turned out. And same with Josh. I mean, he enjoys the procedural subspecialties, which tend to pay more, but that was not a conscious decision made on on payment. Um, and a phrase that my husband likes to say is, I just want to take care of patients. Like that's what he used to say. And, I, and he'll say that even to the point where it's like, so I'm not going to really negotiate my salary. But I, at some point I was like, listen, this is our family. This is our kids. This is your time. So you have to actually stop saying that. You can take care of patients and earn and a they nice... can pay you what you're worth. Like these things are yes. not at odds. Like you're going to take care of exactly. your patients both ways. So I mean, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, but no, neither of us factored in our specialty choice at all. Um, yeah. No, that's a, I, I, you know, I, when I wrote, um, I'm, I'm very interested in this question of like women and money and earning and, and all that, because I think, women don't necessarily grow up with stories of what they need to earn to support a family in the same way that men do, that there is, 
you know, certainly many women wind up going into not not as many as you might think. I, I when I did the research for I know how she does it because I was looking into writing about women in six figure careers. Only about like four percent of women, and this, these are U.S. figures by the way, U.S. dollars. Only about four percent of women uh, earn six figures a year. I mean, it's really low for you know, and, and it's more than that for men. I mean, it's not a huge amount more than that, but but it's definitely the proportion of of six figure earners who are women is relatively low. Um, for various reasons. I mean, it's because A, you generally have to choose certain careers, you know, and I know that this is one of the feedback we get. Like obviously, you know, once you've chosen a career, it's sort of harder to move out of a range of what the salary is. And so then that all this stuff about, uh, you know, what you can spend on various things is, is sort of less relevant. But, you know, when you're making these career choices going in, I think women often don't think about it with the same urgency that men might, because a lot of women do not grow up thinking I might need to support a family on my own. And men are more likely to think that that might be a scenario that would happen at some point in their lives. Uh, and so it affects what you, what you go into, but you know, it's, uh, I, I think that it's, it's something that it would probably help if more women did grow up thinking that way, a, because a lot of women will wind up supporting their whole family on their own at some point you know, whether through choice or because of circumstance. And also just, you know, the big jobs are often more family friendly, I would say, than than one might anticipate, partly because as you um, move into sort of these professional jobs or higher up the ladder of various things, you have more autonomy and control over your time, which gives you more flexibility. And then you have the cash to make certain aspects of balancing work and life far more doable. Like if you need an extra hour of babysitting because you've got a meeting that's running late, it's it's not, you know, a huge deal, right? Which which it could be in, in other circumstances. And and so, you know, I, I think I, I didn't necessarily grow up with anyone telling me I needed to earn a lot of money. Um and and I did, you know, marry a guy who was earning more than me. But I've been I've been pretty you know, gung ho about doing it. It's, it's, it's a side of my personality. I guess I decided to find myself, um, and, and I've been, you know, kind of cool to see what you can do to, to, you know, raise your income over time. So, you know, I think that, uh, we're talking about how to sort of think about your earning potential. I think one of the real big things that would be important for women is if you are scaling down, or taking some time out to be very serious about thinking about your earning potential for getting back in. Like you don't want to get yourself to a place where you can't earn, you know, a reasonable amount in the future. And you've, you've thought about this a lot. So, I mean, medicine is good in this, in that when you scale down a little bit, you can often scale right back up, right? Yep. You can scale right back like up. Like you could tell your person um, tomorrow, schedule me for a full week and they, they, she would do it. Yes. Yes. Hundred percent, and you know, going back a little bit about how having a job that earns a decent salary is helpful in making work and life fit together. I mean, that's something that we've gotten a lot of, you know, feedback, positive or negative, um, on this podcast. But it is true; it's an undeniable truth, and you know, that doesn't change the fact that it's it is difficult for some people who have already kind of gotten settled in lower income tracks. Um, but that said, I think nowadays there are more and more people doing creative things uh, with their skill sets, whether that be a side hustle or looking to see how they could you know, use those skills in a related field that's not the same. Like maybe you're a teacher, but then you're going to start your own tutoring business or become a consultant for a... Or for like ed- educational software. You know, I'm making yeah, that no, up. But I mean, there's exactly. like all kinds of things you could do differently. Yeah. So... I think it's I think it's just a valid approach as any. And you know, I, I, I was just thinking, you know, there's there's only two ways to make things easier on the money side. There's spend less and earn more. And I I think earn more has its value and and doesn't always get its due, especially with women. On the spend less side of things, I will admit that I I enjoy reading those things too. Uh, Laura and I both I think from time to time read the Frugal Girls blog. She's she comments on on Laura's blog as well and. It's so interesting because I feel like I'm coming from a different world. And yet I think her tips are fascinating. And I think there's value to, to how she does things with her family, even though it's like 
a complete, it's just entirely different from, from the way we yeah, live. Yeah. It's a great blog. The frugal girl, definitely check that one out. She's got lots of, um, cheerful tips on, on living frugally, which is better than the sort of, uh, gosh, the, uh, what's his name? Mr. Money mustache, which is, you know, all about wanting to, you know, <laughs> so, but, but, oh, no, she clearly finds joy in the joy creativity, in the creativity of it, as opposed to like, is thriving, uh, so it's angrily, great. aggressively <laughs> spend less money. Um, yeah, no, no, totally on that. Um, so, but you decided it was worth it for you to go down a little bit. I mean, partly this podcast exists because you're, you're <laughs> you know, looking to do other things with at least one day a week of your life. Yeah, for me, I just, it, the difference between having some wiggle room in my schedule and none was so vast. And it, because, to be honest, I can still earn a decent living working four days a week um, and still feel like I'm contributing significantly to our family. It kind of wasn't, once we kind of thought about it, it was an easy decision to make. Yeah. Um, I could see doing more later. In fact, depending on what happens um, with my work responsibilities, it's possible I may have some more flexibility. So I thought, well, maybe that means I could add more time. Josh is sort of against it because I think he likes that I have a whole day that I could go to the parent-teacher conferences or do podcasts or you know, whatever. Um, so we'll see what happens. But it is certainly true that I could could scale up at any moment should we need or want to. Well, that's good. That's good to make sure that that is there. Um, and I mean, the, the sort of thing I sort of take for granted with self-employment, because it's always a possibility to sort of scale up in the sense that you just market yourself more aggressively, right? Like reach out to all the people you've worked with in the past and be like, hey, we'd love to do more. And then there you are. Um, something will usually come back. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a question of how much you're, you're putting into that at any given point. All right. What do we love to spend money on? Yeah, this is lightning, lightning round. round. This is like the, the longest, longest episode, episode ever. ever. We could we could skip a question. I leave that up to you if you want. <laughs> um, I like this one. Okay. Though. Well, what do you uh, what do we love to spend money on? So, I do like eating in good restaurants. I, I find that that is something I enjoy um, spending money on. I have also taught myself to buy books with slightly less of that pain factor like the, the physical pain of of spending money because you're supporting <laughs> i'm friends. supporting my friends and if everyone felt that it was painful to buy books we'd, we'd have an issue um in terms of uh um, my my livelihood uh so so yeah I, I i like to buy books and and feel happy spending money on that how about you uh, I like to buy everything. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I mean, like, that's sort of tongue in cheek, but like, I take pleasure in buying things for the most part, even in when it's like, I'm paying our nanny or I'm paying for camp. I just like, like, oh, I can do this. I saved for it and I did it. So I like it. In terms of like indulgences, I like buying nicer sunscreen and bath products and like, I don't know, like makeup, that kind of a thing. Maybe because during childhood, I felt like even our suave conditioner was like rationed. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a rebellion thing. Um, I love buying stationary products. And I, I actually, you said you you do Target for your kids' clothes, but I love tea collection and Bowdoin and really enjoy spending a little bit on our kids' yeah. clothes. We've add, we add water to the conditioner at the end, shampoo to get it out, <laughs> I, which I probably is what you grew up with, right? Like, so that's... Uh, <laughs> your kids, your kids are going to have some expensive cosmetic habits, possibly. possibly. We shall see. All right. Wh what does it pain you pain to spend well, money like on? Everything. <laughs> I don't know why we're having this, uh, this conversation. No, I don't know. I, for some reason, like shopping at Costco in particular, it fills me with dread. Um, you know, and I like to go for sometimes because they, they have good deals and yet you're still like buying a lot of stuff and it's always expensive while we're there. I you buy like, you know, even if per paper towel roll it's cheap like you're you're spending a lot then on paper towel though we use it we use it we use all that toilet paper we use all that parmesan yeah, cheese you gotta stockpile, you gotta stockpile the, the that stuff. stuff dishwasher detergent tide laundry <laughs> yeah you are such an underbuyer it's so interesting yeah the only things I can I could think of to answer this question, yours was like everything. I was like wind insurance <laughs> because the deductible That's is like, like no insane. Fun. No, nobody wants to. Lot, so I'm like, we're really never going to get anything out of this. But anyway, and then also that that horrible letdown if you do splurge on some super expensive dinner and then it wasn't that good. Oh yeah, that that's is, true. That is like the worst. Yeah, that is that is. But I mean, who doesn't? Hate yeah, that? that's <laughs> a, you never love spending money on things that you don't feel like you're getting your money's worth out of. Um, that's always it. All right, let's go to the question. Let's get through this. So. Um, our listener wrote that her husband and her live about 1,500 miles from his family and almost 4,000 miles from her family. 
any tips for how to use our vacation time so that both of us can see each other's family. Only a few members of each family are able to visit us and so that we can take some trips to other destinations. We often each visit our own families separately, but it would be nice to take more trips together. I was sort of wondering from this if they don't have children, um, but maybe they do. I don't know. Can't, Can't tell. tell. Don't know. Yeah, you're right. Because if they're taking trips separately, unless they're like breaking up the children the or kids. like each takes the children and leaves the others. I don't know. Cause the other can't get no, off work. Maybe. maybe that's how they're doing. Uh, but we'll, we'll answer it with both options. <laughs> I, I think the biggest thing is that frequency matters more than duration. And I, I have found that in my life. Like I, you know, if I take a weekend, it can be just as fulfilling as taking two weeks. So I think they need to make use of three day weekends or paid time off to take short trips to visit the ones they love, you know, short but intense can work. I also think they could build in some traditions there. Like, uh, I believe this came from the happier podcast, but like, you know, Memorial Day is the time that they all go and visit, you know, the aunt and the parents go too. you know, if they start to have some no brainer destinations that they do every year, then they don't have to think about it. It's built in. And um, it doesn't necessarily have to be super long thing, but it'll become kind of an institution if they're doing it all the time. Yeah. I mean, you can certainly travel like even plane trips. You don't have to go for that long. I mean, sometimes it seems like while I've, since I've gotten on the flight, I may as well stay for a long time. But as I've learned from work travel, that's not the case. I mean, you can be in and out of, you know, someplace in, in a very quick amount of time. Um, so you know, worth, worth thinking about doing, um, budgeting more for that and sort of less for other things or, Maybe they have jobs where they travel and get frequent higher miles for that. You could use it for, for family travel too. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I think um, using some of the longer weekends and so then that they could commit to taking a family vacation not to visit other family, you know, once a year would, would be helpful for at least feeling like, well, we do this sometimes, that uh, not our entire, you know, paid time off budget is used up through only family travel. I think that would help with this perspective as well. I'm surprised that they do this separate thing. I wonder if that'll continue. Yeah, that's why I was wondering about the kids because I, I just don't see that being that's true. something that's true. that they would have. But maybe, maybe because I mean, that could actually be, a, you know, take one kid to go visit grandma and the other takes the other kid to go visit the other grandma. And then, hey, you've, you've done your thing. I, I don't know. Maybe switch off the next year. I hadn't really pondered that. Could work. Well, if somebody listening to this is that's what they do with their family, then please write in and let us know how, how you do it. All right, Sarah, your love of the week. We've been talking some other loves, but uh, we'll, we'll get this one in. Yeah, this was not super budget. Um, I have these really pretty sparkly Badgley Mishka shoes that I just wore. And the first time I'd worn them, I was pregnant. So they weren't very comfortable, but this time I wasn't. And I was like, wow, for like three and a half inch heels, these are great. And they were so pretty. And yeah. So those are my love of the week. I'm going to go with uh, Dutch Wonderland, which I mentioned earlier in this episode was our, our amusement park place we went. Uh, but they, some a lot of places, I mean, Sesame Place does this too. Like during the winter, um, they'll open up for holiday weekends before Christmas. Uh, and, you know, they don't have all the rides running. Um, obviously, the water rides are not running because uh, it's frozen outside. But if you can go on a day that's like 40 degrees, it's actually relatively pleasant. And then you see all the lights and, you know, you can ride some rides and it's a fun family active act thing to do that, you know, in winter, it starts being a lot of indoor stuff and it gets boring going to the same children's museum over and over again. So just something to you know, switch up. And in, in terms of this money episode, it was, it was very cheap. Like as I mentioned, it was, uh, you know, because not all the rides are open, they uh, were charging a lot less than they were for the summer visit. So we wound up having a rather frugal family fun day, which I'm, I'm always a fan of. Anyway, this has been Best of Both Worlds. We've been talking our money stories. So tune in next week for more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 
16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.